I truly, honest to God, think that anybody can achieve anything that they set out to if they're willing to suck and if they're willing to work at it for long enough to become better. Welcome to Teach Me Something New. I'm your host, Britt Morin, and this is a production of iHeartRadio and Brit & Co. All my life, everyone's told me I should focus on being good at one thing. But the truth is, I'm curious about a lot of things. But how do you learn about everything? The answer? Make the world's best experts teach you in less than an hour. So come along with me as we all learn something new. In today's episode, we're talking to Rachel Hollis, an expert in motivation and personal growth. She's the number one New York Times bestselling author of Girl, Wash Your Face, Girl, Stop Apologizing, and her new book, Didn't See That Coming. She's also the host of the top podcast, Rise, and Quibi's The Rachel Hollis Show. And in general, she's a get-her-done kind of Texas girl, not unlike myself. She's here to teach us all something new about how to get and stay motivated, especially in tough times. But first, let me bring in my co-founder and co-host, Ange, to chat a little bit about what we think motivation really is. Motivation. Mostly a positive word, but can be a little bit triggering with all this pressure to be productive. What does that word mean when I say it to you? Ugh, it makes me feel a lot of things. It's meant so many things in my life. You know, I have gone through a lot um, as a mom, as an entrepreneur, um, as a friend, as a wife, like there are days when I cannot get motivated. Uh, also, just simple things like motivating myself to go to bed earlier or motivating myself, motivating myself to go running <laughs> in the mornings, like on days when I just don't want to. And and so I, I get torn about it because I'm like, when should I listen to the inner person saying, take today off or like, don't worry about it versus like, I need to motivate myself to get this thing done. So I think it's a constant dilemma for all of us. What about you? Well, I feel like obviously right now in the pandemic and everything, it just feels pretty different. And I think for me, it's all about like tiny victories, basically. That keeps me motivated. You know, having simple things that I want to accomplish in the day. So whether it's, you know, getting outside with my kids, getting outside by myself, you know, obviously having a to-do list or as we learned about a to-don't list. <laughs> right. Um, and those types of things actually kind of help fuel me. And I think, you know, for me, the biggest change in motivation over the last few years is having children because it's just so motivating. It's just like so damn different to be working with your own vision, but also with your kids in mind. It's scary though, too, though, right? Like I'm always afraid I'm going to mess up in front of my kids, which I know that I know they should see me mess up, but I want to be like the motivational parent that's like healthy and I have my stuff together and, you know, they're seeing mom, especially mom succeed. It's a tough one. And I feel like there's a lot to learn. So I am so excited today because we have top motivational speaker and expert Rachel Hollis here to teach us something new about all of this stuff. Rachel, thank you so much for being on with us. Oh my gosh. Thanks for having me, guys. I want to start with your story because it's fascinating. I know a lot of your fans know it, but maybe not everyone knows it. So could you just explain your background a little bit and how you stumbled into this career of a motivational expert? I actually started 
um, I, I guess what the closest piece to where I am today would be that I started as a blogger and I cannot tell you how many times we looked at your website to be like, this is who we want to be. This is what we aspire to become. Um, but I started as a blogger and back in the day, this was like 2008. So this was the time, if you were going to start a blog, that was the time totally. and, um, started doing recipes and DIY throw pillows and all the things that we did back in the day. And along that way, every once in a while, I would start to speak about things I was struggling with in my own life. So I would talk about, I was having really debilitating anxiety attacks, or I had postpartum depression, or I had Bell's palsy, which is facial paralysis. And every once in a while, I would step outside of sort of um, this you know, hostess with the mostest blogger world and, and speak authentically. And anytime I did that, the response from my community was so overwhelming that it started to kind of, um, make me realize that there was something here that women were really interested in maybe a more authentic conversation. And, and I think we find that so much today, but in 2008, that wasn't, you know, it was like Pinterest perfect and everything had to be a certain way. I never in the world thought that I would parlay that into writing on the subject or speaking on the subject, but I just kept following that tug on my heart that maybe I had something to say and that it might be helpful to other women. And honestly, I several years ago, let's say five years ago, I went to a personal development conference and it was the first time I had ever gone to something like that. And I was sitting in the audience and I was so inspired and I was learning all of this information and I kept thinking, why are there no women on stage? Because they were saying these, these bros, right? Like they were saying this stuff and I found it so inspiring and they would be like, you're going to go home and you're going to, you know, and they, and whatever. And I would be like, <laughs> I have to make school lunches. Like I just kept thinking that some of this applies to me, but not all. That, and there must be other women like me who want to know these things, but we want to see them through the lens of who we are, not who, you know, uh, an older white man is. Like, where are the women on this stage? Well, maybe you're supposed to be the woman on this stage. So that was the first um, idea that has slowly led to the career that I have today. <laughs> Which has been fascinating, right? Like you're on a lot of stages now. I mean, well, maybe not right now, but yes. <laughs> not right now. Theoretically now. Yeah. Can you talk about how scary that was for you? I mean, I think this is really interesting for so many women that we have stories to tell and we feel like our stories will be helpful for other people who are in a similar uh, season. But in order for us to tell our stories, we have to have the courage to stand up and use our voice in the first place. And the speaker that I am today is a completely different universe from the very first stage where I wrote my entire speech on little index cards and the stack was this thick and my hands were shaking, shaking, shaking. And I was so awful and it was so bad. And I had tried to wear high heels because I thought that that's what a woman was supposed to be. And halfway through the speech, I took my heels off and then I was barefoot on stage. It was just, it was such a mess, you guys. Um, and what I think back about that time is that in order to become who you want to be, you have to be willing to suck for as long as it takes you to become better. 
And I sucked for so many years, but I just had this feeling in my heart that I wanted to tell my story and I wanted to get better. And I have truly always believed that I, I truly honest to God, think that anybody can achieve anything that they set out to if they're willing to suck and if they're willing <laughs> to work at it for long enough to become better. And so that's what I did. I love that. I think we share that same message with our audience. You know, Britain Co. started with this kind of push for women to be more creative because almost 80% of women when surveyed say they are not creative people, which just infuriates me. <laughs> and so, of course, you're not going to be an amazing watercolor painter or calligrapher or cake decorator or whatever on your first try. It's the same thing no matter what you want to learn how to do, right? You've got to practice and practice and practice and be willing and vulnerable, right? Mm -hmm. To suck. And that's, that's like a key to it. Yeah. I also was paying attention and I, I think that women really struggle with this is I was paying attention to what I was accomplishing or where I was making traction. Um, at our conferences, one of the exercises that we go through is having women write a letter to themselves from their persistence from the part of them that kept going, from the part of them that didn't give up. And we ask them to give themselves credit for all of the things they have accomplished. So what have you done? Like, yeah, you tried calligraphy and it was awful, but you know what? Your, your capital L was really good and you give yourself credit for that. Or you kept your baby alive and now he's five. Yay, you, like you did this thing. You, maybe you put yourself through school or you paid off your home or you built a company or whatever it is. We have all these ideas of who we want to become. And so rarely do we give ourselves credit or acknowledge what we have accomplished so that we don't have any foundation to build the next step on top of. Because we're still down here in the back of our heads thinking that we're awful. And if we would just take the time to go, wait a minute, aren't you the same person who did these 10 awesome things? Hell yeah. And if you are that person, then what could you do next? Just kind of shifting over to current times, um, obviously our brains are a huge reason why we lack motivation and perseverance. And right now everyone is super stressed. People are more stressed out than ever. And what's kind of crazy about all of it is that no one, not even world leaders, CEOs, billionaires, you know, sage, wisdom, soothsayers, have any idea what's going to happen next. So how are you thinking about the stress and anxiety impact of this virus? And what do you say to people who are trying to plan for their futures right now? What I think is so wild about this time is not that we don't know what's going to happen next. It's that we have become aware of a truth that was always here. We have never actually known what was going to happen next, but we have held on to this belief that we were in control of what it was. And I think that was what was so disconcerting definitely for me. And I think for a lot of other people was this, you know, you sort of go, okay, if I do these things and I check these boxes and I follow these rules, then I will be able to have the life that I want to have. And this was this reminder to all of us 
that we were never in control of anything out in the world. We've only ever been in control of ourselves. And so when I am able to come back to that truth in myself, it was only ever what I could, what was right in here, what was in my heart, what was in my head, my creativity, what I wanted to put out into the world. That's the only thing I've ever had control of. And if I can cling to that truth, not only does it take away some of that fear, but it also allows me to be more present where my feet are in this moment. This has been um, this has been really hard as an entrepreneur, and I'm going to guess I'm sure y'all had things planned that suddenly everything's kind of thrown up in the air, and that's not what it's going to be anymore. And those first couple of weeks going into quarantine and. I don't know if y'all had ever worked virtually before. We had never done that. And that was so terrifying. Was that new for you guys? Well, it's interesting. About a year ago, we like made a bunch of shifts with the company. We were like, we're going to launch a consumer, you know, subscription. As part of that, we were like, let's like have remote teams. And we've always had people Mm -hmm. in New York and LA and whatever. And so now we have people around the world. And it's fine. And we do a daily, you know, Zoom call at like 10 a.m. And everyone knows what's happening. And then we go about our days, whatever time zones we're in. And it's it's actually so refreshing. Do you feel that way too? Yeah. I the first couple of weeks were scary. Uh, were very scary because number one, a huge part of my business is live events. And suddenly that's not only is that gone, but I have no idea when that comes back. And the second piece is my favorite thing about my company are the people. So these 60 employees that I get to show up every single day and feel their energy and create things and build this together. That was very sad for me to to let that piece go. And I cannot wait until I get to sit in front of a human again instead of a screen. But also what has come out of this time is unbelievable because when you are inside of change or you are inside of crisis or you are in a space like this, you can run away, sort of put your head under the covers and just say, I'll wait until there's you know, some kind of resolution or you can pivot and you can get creative. And we did. And the awesome things that come out of this experience will far outweigh those first couple of weeks when I felt sort of panicky and scared because I didn't know what was next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There are some people who freeze and who let their thoughts get in their way. And this is not just with the pandemic. It's with everything, right? It's like, I'm not good enough. I can't. I won't. Like, it's something's bringing me down. It's an external thing. So are these things that develop in us over time? Is it innate to us as humans? Like, how do you approach that? And what are the most common thoughts that get in our way? So I 
I feel most comfortable speaking from a female perspective because I am sure that dudes encounter this too, but I work predominantly with women. And so that is where, that is what I know best. But what I know about women is depending on where you were raised, but I was raised in the US and I was raised in a culture that did not raise me to be confident in myself, to think that I had good ideas, to think that what I wanted to do was smart or right or good. I was mostly raised to be a good girl and to please others and to look a certain way and dress a certain way and have a certain kind of life. And so from the time I was a little girl, and I think a lot of us from the time we're little girls, we aren't raised to have a positive self-talk in the back of our head, we're raised with the voice in the back of our head telling us everything that's wrong. I have been reading Glennon Doyle's new book, Ugh. Untamed. It's like an audiobook <laughs> while I'm running best. every day because I can't actually spend time reading real books anymore. Um, but she's like, nails it. She's like, age 10, that's when it all goes yes. down the hill for girls. Like, oh my god! And I'm like, totally age 10, right? Yes, yes. And honestly, if you guys are listening to this and you've not read Untamed, please, you have to. It is that conversation of that voice in the back of your head that's telling you, you're not pretty enough, you're not thin enough, you're not smart enough, you're too old, you're too young. All of the reasons why it's not going to work for you. And so for me, I when I first started to kind of learn about personal growth or personal development, the the thing that they talked about a lot back then was like mantras. Like you would say a mantra to yourself. You would say like, I am strong. I am smart. I am, you would try and drown out the voice. And for me, I don't think that that's necessarily effective because it's ignoring that it's there in the first place. So the first thing I suggest is that you acknowledge like what is, what is, what is the most common thoughts that are running through your head? And what I have found is that most often it's some form of not blank enough. Like, why is it that you can't have the life or the dream or the job or the family that you want? I'm not blank enough. I'm not pretty enough, smart enough, strong enough, whatever. And so if you can first acknowledge what your version of not enough is, then you can start to unpack why that's playing in your head. So um, for, for, for an example, for the longest time, as I was building my company, every single year, I would be like, this is the year that I pass a million dollars in revenue. This is the year. Every year, I would say that. If you're listening to this and you're like, oh, what a douchebag that she's talking. I'm not saying that I was making that much money. It was just that's my for the goal. Company. I want, yeah. yeah, that's for the company. I wanted to have that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so expensive. So <laughs> I just wanted that much in revenue. And every year I would get close, but not quite past this certain thing. And it happened three years in a row. And I finally thought something's going on here. Like, why can't I get past this monetary number? And so I started doing a ton of research and I found out that when it comes, especially for entrepreneurs, there are psychological thresholds attached to certain monetary amounts. So it's different for every single person, but you get to a place where on some level you will self-sabotage because that number feels too big or too much for you to handle. And so I had to dig into why that was for me. And what I realized, and I never understood this, was my version of not enough was I'm not smart enough. Mm -hmm. So I have a high school education, everything I know about business, I taught myself on the fly and I had done very well up until a certain point, but having grown up without money, like 
very, very much so without money, a million dollars felt like like the Beverly Hillbillies. A, like that, a kajillion that, dollars, a basically. Kajillion, like, <laughs> not even a number. Yeah. It's like monopoly money. It's not. And so I had to really dig into my version of not enough, which is I'm not smart enough. And the thing is, there's not a mantra that's going to make that okay for me. I can't say... I I have a PhD, I have a PA, like, you know, I have an MBA, I have an MBA, because I don't, I don't have that. <laughs> what I realized was I needed something to replace that voice in the back of my mind. I needed something that was more powerful than this idea that I'm not smart enough. And so I thought, okay, and this is what I would say to your listeners. What is a truth about your life that is bigger and more powerful than this feeling of not enough? So for me, I might not be as smart as anybody else on this podcast, but I have always figured it out. That is my truth. I have always figured it out. I figured out how to start this company. I figured out how to hire employees. I figured out how to be a mom. I figured out how to have a strong marriage. I figure things out. And it doesn't matter how smart I am because I will always figure out something. So you need a statement that is stronger and more bold and more beautiful to you than the voice in the back of your head. So that when that voice starts going again, you're like, yeah, I get it. Good for you. I acknowledge you. I'm not smart enough, but you know what I am? Someone who can figure it out no matter what. I mean, I think people are always looking for strategies to actually get there, right? And figure out whether it's the mantra, the what I am, the opposite of the not enough. What are some other strategies that you, you know, give people for developing a growth mindset and overcoming this inner adversity? So, oh my gosh, if you haven't read the book Mindset by Carol Dweck, so please good. add that to your list. It's oh my so gosh. Good. All right. I have two books on my list from this podcast. Perfect. I am the <laughs> queen of book recommendations. So please read that. It's so, so good. Um, I think that that's a really important piece. For me, it's always, I want to understand why. I think there's a reason for everything, everything that you struggle with. If if I'm having anxiety, there's a reason why. If I am self-sabotaging, there's a reason why. And if I have the courage to unpack that and sort of look at what's under the surface, then I can solve those individual problems instead of just seeing it as this like big, crazy thing that's happening. It's important for people to understand that this is a journey. You are not going to read one book or listen to six podcasts and do a couple of months of therapy and all of a sudden be the person that you want to be. You're going to evolve. And there's beauty in that. I think that we've been fed this belief that we were supposed to have figured it out by, at, you know, what, by the time you declared your major, you need to know who you want to be when you grow up. And when you start that thing, you have to stay in it. You are not going to know. The person that I was at 27, oh, Lord, help us all, <laughs> is nothing compared to the woman that I am at 37. And I have to imagine it just gets better from here. I totally agree. I think there's a point you hit after college where you're like, what is my life? Your 20s are all about exploration, right? Mm -hmm. And and then your 30s come and and then here's the pattern I see. Women get stuck in the thing they're doing because they have a job, they've got kids, they've got a husband, and it's fine. And it just repeats and it repeats. And there's like no newness. There's no learning. There's no evolution. And so like, I don't know, the one thing I can offer to this question is that like for me, I did this thing called Give It a Week. I chose 52 things I wanted to learn every week of the year. I did one a week and 
And like, I sucked at them, a lot of them. Um, I just put it all out there. Ange can tell you, she watched me do this. Like, it was the <laughs> craziest transformation I have ever made in my life. Like, how cool is it to try 52 things? What if you never knew that you were supposed to be a pro golfer and you were really good at golf because you've never <laughs> golfed before? Like, right. go, go golf for a week and see if you like enjoy it. You know, it's just like, we're so afraid to try. It's so real. And I also think that we sort of get stuck in the identity that we've been given or that we've bought into of ourselves. And it doesn't occur to most people that you can change it. Like, I mean, it doesn't even occur to most women that you could cut your hair or, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like, Go do blonde. Some, that was right? the thing I did. I went blonde for a week. It was crazy. See? Not going back, <laughs> but I tried it, but I tried it. <laughs> and, and I mean, that's something too, is the opportunity to start to, to dabble and to try things without um, risk or without stakes or mm -hmm. without pressure that it has to be this thing. And so then you have all of these, uh, especially women who have thrown themselves into what the world told them they were supposed to get all of their joy and passion out of, which was be a wife, be a mom, be a good girl, be whatever, whatever your family of origin told you was the right choice. And so often women come to me and they're like, I've lost myself. I, I'm lost. I don't know who I am. I don't know what I care about. I don't know what my why is. I don't, I don't know. And the question I always ask is, who were you before you were their mom? Who were you before you were his wife? Who were you before you became this person? And what were the things that you used to love back then? And if you don't know, doing what Britt did and like, I'm going to try this thing. I'm going to, with, with zero pressure zero. that it has to be something great, but that it just gets to be something that you're dabbling in and trying. So it's interesting you say that because we have found the same in our data for Brit and Co. And we, we actually did a, another study. It showed that at age 26, there's like a little blurb. There's like a pop of creativity that happens. And it just so happens that 26 is the average age a woman gets married in this country. And so my thesis is that like when you're planning your wedding, you go into kind of oh, little girlhood again. And yes. you get to like think about or flower arranging and the colors and the blah, blah, blah. And like you get to just play and it's so fun. And like some women stick with that and it changes their life and others just like enjoy it for a moment. And then when the wedding's over, they go into like the honeymoon blues, you know, and like, yeah, all the fun is gone. That which, is so fascinating. Mm -hmm, yeah. And it's also like, not only is it giving you this opportunity to be creative, but it also there's permission and people expect it of you. Mm -hmm. They expect you to take that time and have fun and dig in and care about the flower arrangements. And I also wonder, not every bride, but I wonder for people if there's something powerful in it too, because it's a day that tends to be focused on the bride. Yeah. And so you have permission to be indulgent of yourself and mm -hmm. what you love when we don't normally have that. Well, it's I think another piece of it too is like, that's often when people, they want to make something totally customized, totally them. They want to save money. So they're like getting crafty, doing different things. So I feel like those life stages, like first kid is another one, first house. There's this like surge of creativity because it's like, shit, I need to figure some stuff out and make it look really good. So just going back to the strategies, because I want to hear a little bit more about, you know, like what your thoughts are on journaling and vision boards and so on. But one thing that you said, which is, you know, thinking about that person that you were 
and sort of like, what would they be doing? What would they think? My husband and I often, so we met when we were 18 and we'll, we often will be like, okay, like pause. Like if we're stressed out about something, what would 18 year old Ange think? Like what mm. would, what would 18 year old Ange and Dave think? Like, would they be into this moment or not? Because, yeah. you know, I mean, and a lot of the time the answer is yes, which is great. But sometimes it's like, it's not that. So I just, I would love for you to expand on, you know, like exercises like that, that can kind of mentally jog you out of your rut. Is this like an opposite vision board, by the way? I think there's like <laughs> a history board and then a vision board. One of the most powerful tools that I think that we have is imagining our future selves. So for me, I just did this exercise last weekend. I thought of my next big birthday. So whatever your next big birthday is, whether it's in a year or three years or five, imagine the next big birthday. And so for me, that's 40. I'm 37. So I'm like, okay, you're two and a half years away from 40. And I asked myself to imagine my 40th birthday party. And I I wrote down, what do I see? Who's there? Who am I at that birthday? And not only did I think it through the lens of who am I, but I also thought through the lens of how old will my children be? So my oldest son will be almost 16, which is like, oh, my my heart cannot hold that. And so not only was it this really powerful um, question to ask myself about what it is that I'm aiming at, but it also reminded me my God, this is going fast. That 40th birthday party will be here this quick and Jackson will be almost 16. And then in a second, he'll be off to college. And so what are you wanting to have at that next birthday? What are the memories that you want you and your family to have because you spent the next two and a half years building those things? So if I can get really clear on what it is that I want that woman to be and what it is that I want us as a family to have and to hold on to, then I can get crystal clear on what matters most. It's how do I make myself hold on to this vision long after the excitement of this vision has left me? So for instance, someone is like, I'm gonna get healthy. This is the year I get healthy. And they're super excited and they sign up for the gym and they get the equipment and whatever. And they're really excited. And then two weeks later, they're like, how did I ever feel like this was a good idea for me? (laughs) And so there's, The vision for me allows me to hold on to that tangible excitement long after the feelings left me. So that's awesome. But let's talk about real life because real life is, at least for me personally, you're not going to be able to grab onto that every single day. So I actually don't think it's about finding the motivational hacks. I think it's about creating systems and routines and rituals in your life that are so habitual for you that you don't think about them anymore. So if I say to myself that my 40-year-old self is gonna be the healthiest, most vibrant version of me, then I need to define what would make her so. And when I define those things that I eat foods that bless my body and then I make sure that I move and I'm doing yoga and I'm meditating and I'm praying and I'm all of these things. If I can define those things, well, now the goal for me is to make each one of those things that I've identified a habit in my life. Because if I have to wait to be motivated to want to go move my body, if I have to wait to be motivated to drink water, then there's a good chance that most days I'm not going to get there. Mm -hmm. But if I can create it as something that is just part of every single day, then it becomes who I am and I don't need motivation to have the life I want to have. Do you find that you write this down, that you like 
send it out to the world for like accountability or do you cut out pictures like an actual vision board? Like how do you manifest it? And is there a right way for anybody? Yeah. So I do it all. I'm into all of it. I want as many things like I I'm looking right now at the wall in front of me is, is things that I've torn out of magazines and different pictures that represent the life that I want to have. And then I started doing this practice years ago where every single day I would write down. So, okay. So we start here. I say my next big birthday or five years from now or 10 years from now, what is the best version of me? The more details that you can have around this idea, the stronger that vision becomes for you. So I have this whole visualization that I do for myself. And then every single day in a journal, I would write down 10 dreams that if those 10 dreams came true, then my vision of my future self would be made manifest. So if my 40-year-old self is healthy, then I'm writing down a dream that says, I move my body every single day. And I did this for years and years and years. And it is insane. I was actually just looking at an old notebook today because I've done this forever. It's crazy. If you go back and read my notebooks and the things I was writing down, it is the life that I have today. What if you don't know? What if five years from now just looks blurry? What if you're, you know, facing depression or I don't know, you're just like so down that you can't yes. even think about it like It's a that. great question. So I always say, pull it closer. So if five years feels like too much, a lot of young women, like women who are 22 and hear about the journal, they're like, I want to do this, but 10 years feels crazy to me. So I'm like, do six months, do one month, it, especially inside of quarantine and pandemic and everything's so uncertain and people have lost their jobs and people are sick. Maybe you need to do, where do I want to be a month from now? Mm -hmm. I don't think it matters what the distance is. I think it matters that you have direction. I believe if you don't give yourself something to aim at, man, you'll hit nothing every time. And for so many, at least women in my community, there is this frustration of, man, every year on New Year's Day, I set this intention and this is the person I want to be. And we hit October and I'm no closer to where I thought because kids and work and marriage and bills and everything. And so if you can just keep reminding yourself every morning, this is where we're going. This is where we're going. And it could honestly be as intentional as, I mean, I see our community do this all the time. Like I am calm. I never scream at my kids. I, you know, it's simple things in their life. I am a, I am, I compliment my husband every single day. I, you know, whatever oh, it looks like to one. you, right? <laughs> so it doesn't have to be grandiose. Like I made a billion dollars. It can be simple, but real it's life. funny because, so I don't do it every day. Um, but I would, I think I'm going to start trying that. I'll send you a journal. Okay. Thank <laughs> you. The thing, the thing I did when I was 18, I knew nothing about vision boards or anything. I just, I made a life bucket list. I was 18. So these were the goals on my bucket list, but it was like, it was like, I thought they were so grandiose. I would never attain them. So it was like the opposite of micro goals. It was just like, meet Oprah, swim in the sharks, like sew my own clothes, be the coolest mom on the block, like all these different things. <laughs> and randomly, I've like, same thing, like accomplished so many of them. And yep. so I, I don't know how spiritual you are. I grew I'm up very super spiritual. Yeah, yeah, me too. I grew up super Christian, but I also have, I think like it's so big, like what mm -hmm. this all is. And like Absolutely. one day, and I know you met Oprah too recently. So I like mm -hmm. feel like this is 
you've probably experienced the same thing. I was like, one day I was invited to a dinner party that Oprah was going to be at and it was 10 people. And like, why? From a person I hardly knew. And I was like, how did this land in my inbox? I don't even know where this came from. But it's just like stuff manifests. And so absolutely, like, I, I would add on, like, I love the dream small and dream big. Like mm-hmm. there's like, make it a combination. I feel like everything is achievable and possible. Rachel, you talk a lot about physical space and how that can alter our mental space. And I know I'm always like trying to optimize the space that's around me because it makes me feel happier. Mm -hmm. What do we need to know about how organization helps our mindset? And talk us a little bit about that. So I always think that when I feel the most chaotic or sort of out of sorts, everything around me is reflective of that. And especially right now where we are, everything's happening at home. We're doing school out of our homes. We're working out of our homes. We're being a family. Everything's happening here. So I feel like more than ever, it's important to take the time to ask yourself, what do you need for each one of these spaces? Like, what is the purpose of this office? What is the purpose of my bedroom? And then I need to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to keep that space sacred for what it's meant to do. So um, I, I was talking to a mom about this last year at some thing, and she was talking about feeling so stressed out. She wants her house to be clean. She's a clean freak. She wants it organized. She wants it neat. And she has little kids. So maybe like Brit, she's, let's say she's got like a five-year-old and a four-year-old. They're little. And so she said, every single day, I clean up the house and every single day my kids thrash it. And she's so stressed out about this idea. And she was specifically talking about their playroom. You know, I'm so sick of picking up toys off the playroom and it just represents the chaos in my life. And I was like, what is the intention for the playroom? Well, it's a space that my kids play in. Okay. And is that a, is that a, a, a location where they should be free to be who they are and express themselves and throw toys around? Like, is that what you want for them in that space? Or do you want them to be sort of organized little cleaners for you <laughs> as little tiny? Ch- and it's like, when you can start to unpack that and talk through it, it sounds kind of crazy. Oh yeah. This is supposed to be the one room where they're allowed to just be little kids. And so if this is supposed to be the intention of this room, then why am I being so controlling of what it is? And if it's okay, my my older boys are required to keep their room clean. It's like, you're part of our house, you're old enough, clean it up. My daughter's three. And so maybe twice a week, I'll go in and we'll clean up, you know, toys off the floor. But it's not I don't, I'm not stressing over, you know, no one's coming to take pictures of her room. We're fine. So I think asking yourself or starting from that place of what is it that I need to hold space for here allows you to go, okay, this space, like my bedroom needs to be clean, needs to be organized, needs to rise up to meet me. But this other room, that can be a crap show and that's fine. So we just started doing since quarantine you know, we were getting into that thing where like the house is totally trashed. Then the kids. So I have two daughters. They go to bed and then we spend an hour cleaning. And I was like, this is so annoying. So now yeah. we do the cleanup song 
and we do it from like 6.30 to 6.45. And like, I give my three-year-old like one job. Like it's mm-hmm. not, she doesn't have to clean up all her toys. I'm like, you put away the wooden blocks. And mm-hmm. then my, my husband and I like turbo through, we like do the dishes, we do everything so that then when they're asleep, we like come back up the stairs and it's like zen. Yes. Like so, and it's, that's so been smart. such a game changer and we never did that before. So smart. Yeah. Well, and I think also I love the idea of starting, like all of my kids have started about three with having something that they had to help with. Mm -hmm. And we still, to this day, we do Saturday chores. We've done it, you know, for as long as my kids have been old enough. And the bigger kids actually have real life chores. And then my three-year-old has something silly, Mm -hmm. like put toilet paper in the bathrooms or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I love the idea that you're already starting now to sort of say, we're a family. This is something that we do together because Mm -hmm. so often moms will carry all of that on their on themselves of like oh no I'll do it I'll just pick up I'll make myself miserable so I love that you're starting that now yeah we can't get enough advice from you in under an hour so we're just gonna lightning round your answers to all the other things we actually want to know and let's pepper back and forth okay um what's your go-to pump-up song my favorite song ever is Freedom by Beyonce and I actually have the lyrics on a bracelet on my wrist. Favorite motivational quote or mantra? Uh, don't wish it was easier. Wish you were better by Jim Rohn. Handwriting or a computer for journaling, making lists, etc. Handwriting. Agreed. <laughs> Always. Um, okay, I have 15 minutes to get dinner on the table. What do I make? Me or you? Well, you. What do uh, you? <laughs> a really good salad. So I like feel like it's the refrigerator salad where you use up like 20 things and you do them in creative ways. And how did you come up with this? That salad. If you could have dinner with two people dead or alive, who would they be? Harriet Tubman and Joan of Arc. I like female warriors. Would I'm they be together? Yeah, no, that dinner would yes. be the three of us oh together. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's yeah. really good. That's really good. Okay, lastly, what is our homework for the week? So your homework is to come up with a joy list. So think about the things that make you happy. What brings you joy? Not other people, but what specifically makes you feel joyful. And then challenge yourself to write down 20 things. So I have a joy list in my phone. I'm forever adding to it, but mostly it's things like a great cup of coffee or a walk with my dog or listening to a certain type of music. Certainly there are things in it like travel that I'm not able to do right now. But I think that if you will take the time to identify what brings you joy, then you can incorporate it into every single week. Whenever you're having a hard moment, you're like, you know what, which of these things could I reach for really quickly that would help me to feel more centered and more whole in this moment? And it's not, I want to be clear, it's not excitement. It's not over the top. It's simple moments in your life that make you feel well. Rachel, before you go, tell us a little bit about your app and your new show on Quibi that you launched earlier this summer. Yeah. So the Quibi show is the Rachel Hollis show. It's a daily, daily episodes. You can check it out on Quibi. It's um, teaching. So every segment one is me teaching and, and the second segment is cooking or it's going back to blogger days. So cooking, make a pillow, design a denim jacket, whatever. So it's just something fun. And every episode on Quibi is less than 10 minutes. So it won't take you a ton of time, but if you want to consume it, 
check that out. And then the Rise app. Uh, so Rise is our conference and my podcast, and it's been that way for years. And that was our, our intention was we wanted to create something that met our audience where she is. Uh, so it's a reimagined health app, fitness app, where we're joyful, where we believe that being in great health should be about how you feel, not about how you look. But we feel like there's a space for people um, who want to be able to move their bodies without intimidations. Rachel, thank you so much. It was so awesome to meet you. And this was so inspiring on so many levels. Good luck with of everything. Course. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Thank you guys for having me. I super appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Teach Me Something New, a production of iHeartRadio and Brit Co. I'm your host, Britt Morin. Find more information about each episode at Brit.co slash listen. You can also find me on social media. I'm at Brit or follow us at Brit and Co. Special shout out to my co-host, Ange, who you can find on Instagram at Angelica Temple. Teach Me Something New is executive produced by Christine Swore and Ali Perry with additional production and sound design by Aaron Kaufman. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. See you next time.